Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Over the past few weeks, we've been going through this series, Lord Build Your Church, looking at each one of our commitments uh, that we have as a local church. You've seen them on your way in, they're the banners right over there, the five commitments. Uh, We've been taking week by week to look at them, all with the prayer that God would use these commitments to build his church as we commit to doing these things together as a local church. So we took a week to look at the Great Commission. Uh, We took a week to look at our commitment to prayer. Uh, Andrew Chia, the the pastor of discipleship from Toronto West, uh, took us through our commitment to worship, and this morning, we're gonna be looking at our commitment to the preaching of God's word. Preaching simply defined as the public heralding or proclamation of God's word. And so when we're committed to preaching, what we mean is that we're committed to the regular proclamation publicly of God's word together as we meet uh, as a a local body. Uh, Our commitment right here on the screen, preaching the authority of God's word with accuracy and compassion. Uh, we, wanna, we wanna teach and preach God's word with accuracy, meaning that we, we understand that the, the word of God was written by an author to a particular audience. And so we wanna take the intent of the author and see how it applies to us today. But we also wanna teach it with great compassion, understanding that we are people going through things and, and that the word of God applied to us needs to be measured with lots of love and compassion as we teach one another. Here's what Christopher Ash says about a church's commitment to preaching. The reason that we gather in church is first that we may hear and submit to the voice of God in his word. This is why we gather together. This is why often in our services we begin with a call to worship because we understand that everything is initiated by God and his revelation to us. He assembles us by his command and we assemble to listen to his word. The word of God is the driving force that shapes authentic church life. This is why the primacy of preaching and Bible teaching is not just one tradition amongst other equally valid Christian traditions. It is the defining mark of the assembly of God's people. We need to understand that the word of God is what drives us as a community of God's people. It's the word of God that tells us how we ought to love God, what we should know about God, and how we should love one another. That's why the word of God must be central. Unless our first desire when we gather is to hear and heed the voice of God in his word, we have missed the foundation point of church. Preaching is vitally important to the life of the church. 
And so that's why we're going to be taking a look at it today and what God's word tells us about preaching. The passage that we're looking at today, Paul, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us a command to be committed to the regular preaching of God's word when his people gather together. Paul tells us that preaching the word is not an option, but it's an expectation when God's people gather together. That the preaching of God's word is not an option, but it's an expectation when God's people gather together. Let's take a look at the passage together, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And then verse five, just to finish us off, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Paul is writing this letter knowing that he's going to die soon. And so he writes these letters, first in 2 Timothy, to his uh, protege, Timothy, to encourage him to remain faithful and steadfast in the faith and the work of the ministry. The first letter that he writes to Timothy, he encourages him to put to order the things in the church. So he tells him to appoint elders and deacons and warns, warns him of false teachers to come. In the second and final letter that Paul writes to Timothy, he tells him to persevere in the work of the faith. This passage that we're looking at today is Paul's final charge to Timothy. Preach the word. And so he begins with the weight of the charge. That's our first point, the weight of the charge. Verse one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. What we need to understand is, is that this charge that Paul makes to Timothy is not a suggestion or an option. It's what needs to be done. Not only that, but it's done in the very presence of God. Do you notice that? Verse one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. All of this is done with God as the approving witness. God sees Paul writing this to Timothy. God sees Timothy reading this, and God approves. This is a charge that Paul doesn't make on his own, but with God supporting it with his presence. We need to understand that it's to God that Paul and Timothy and those of us who preach will have to give an account. We're gonna have to answer the question, have we faithfully preached God's word? Paul reminds us that God sees all that we do. Nothing escapes his sight. But this reality that all things are done in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus shouldn't fill us with fear but should give us great comfort. This is what Tony Merida says about a preacher's reality when we understand that all things are done in the sight of God. 
No preacher ultimately goes unnoticed. Unnoticed by people? Sure. Overlooked for big speaking engagements? Yes. But he is never out of the eyes of God. What an encouragement that is to us. Whether we preach or whether we're simply striving to live faithfully to what the gospel calls us to live like, that God sees it, that we aren't on our own. He should remember that his ultimate call is faithfulness to God and that his ministry is eternally important even if his church is small. Though the world might push for striving for fame, God asks for faithfulness. That though the world might push and asks us to pursue those big speaking engagements, all God asks for is simple faithfulness. Not only does God see all that we do, but look at verse one again. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Not only does God see all that we do, but that Christ is coming back to judge the living and the dead. So he's coming back to judge those who are still alive at his coming and those who have already died. So that means everyone. No one can escape the judgment of God. Paul reminds Timothy and us that our concern is not to be the opinions of others. Our concern ought to be in all that we do, the concern and the opinion of God upon us. It's not about what fellow believers even think or unbelievers. Our our concern needs to be the opinion and approval of God. This helps us in a few ways. One, it gives us urgency. We need to remember that Christ is coming back and he's coming back to judge And so that gives us urgency with the gospel message, amen? That it tells us to to not keep this message to ourselves, but to strive to share it constantly so that all might have a chance to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ and come to repentance. It gives us urgency that Christ is coming back soon. But two, it also serves as a warning to false teachers. Those who twist God's word and manipulate it will not get away with it. God is is jealous for his word and for his reputation and he will not let us get away with manipulating and twisting his word. It serves as a warning to false teachers. But it serves also for us as Christians to keep us faithful in gospel ministry. Because the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us, we understand that this judgment that Paul talks about is not a judgment concerning salvation. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, we have already been judged as righteous before God. This is what it means to be justified. It's an act of God in which he counts our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. And then he declares us righteous in his sight. This is what Paul talks about in Romans 5 verse 9. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, meaning what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for us, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So when Paul's talking to Timothy here and to us, 
fellow Christians, he's not talking about a judgment of the wrath of God. It's already been satisfied in the work of Jesus Christ. The judgment that Paul talks about here to Timothy is one concerning our fruitfulness and faithfulness. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. For no one can lay a foundation other than which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, so these are all things that uh, the, the quality of our work before God. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire." So the judgment for us as believers is not one concerning salvation. Paul Paul makes it clear that though uh, we might lose all that we've built, that we ourselves will be saved. But those who, who work hard and are faithful and fruitful will be rewarded. And so this is the judgment that that Paul is talking to Timothy about to encourage him, that there is a reward coming for those who faithfully work for God. Now this is is for all believers, but for those who preach God's word, for those of us who stand up here and herald the word of God, the word of God tells us that the judgment will be even more strict since they are responsible for the teaching of God's word. This is why James says in in chapter three, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Would you pray for us? Would you pray for those who stand here and preach preach God's word? It's a weighty task. Those who stand here and herald the word of God will be judged with greater strictness. Would Would you remember us in your prayers? Our faithfulness and fruitfulness will be judged when Jesus comes back. But it's a good thing. A good reward waits for those who who strive hard after the Lord and do what the word of God calls us to do. Whether that means for those of us who preach or those of us who simply long to live a life that that the word of God tells us to live. A reward is coming. We understand that future promise motivates present faithfulness. We live like this all the time. Think of that vacation that you're looking forward to at the end of a busy season. Or or even the weekend that's coming up that lets you work through Monday. Uh, the, The promised reality in the future helps motivate our work in the present. And that's what Paul is doing here. That, that, that what is coming and what is promised, that Jesus return his judgment and reward shapes how we do things here in the present, that it motivates fruitfulness and faithfulness. The fact that we are commissioned by God himself means that we must preach God's word. And because we have to give an account, it also measures our conversations with accuracy and compassion. 
because we know that we will have to stand before the Lord one day and give an account for what we've said, it motivates us to, to be accurate but also compassionate with our words to one another. And so that happens Sunday mornings or even as we strive to live as, as faithful Christians, obedient to the word of God. Now what does this mean if, if you don't preach? Uh, we, we understand that there, there's a lot of you that might not preach uh, regularly or, or preach at all. But what does this mean for us who don't preach? Well, first, don't dismiss or mock preaching. There's a tendency in our day to, to excuse the efficiency and the purpose of preaching, but God has commissioned that as his means by which his people are fed as they gather together. Would you treasure preaching? But two, would you pray for your pastors and those who preach on a Sunday morning? That, that they carry a weighty task. Would you pray for them even as you prepare for Sunday during the week? Would, as you think of them, would you pray that God would give them endurance and perseverance, that they would treasure the word and that they would be faithful in its delivery? We need your prayers. Paul, having laid out then the weight of the charge, he now gives us the substance of the charge. Take a look at verse two. He tells us, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, verse two, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So verse two gives us the substance of the charge. Paul tells us what the responsibility of the preacher is. He tells us what to preach, when to preach, and how to preach. So what, when, and how. That's what, what Paul tells us here. He tells us what to preach, when to preach and how to preach. Take a look at verse two. What are we to preach? Preach the word. That's the main subject of a Sunday morning message. The word of God needs to be central. Here's why. Paul in 2 Timothy says this. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is what makes preaching powerful and authoritative. It's powerful because the scriptures are the very words of God and words that are able to bring about salvation and mature the saints of God. We need the word. We understand that because the authority of preaching lies in the word of God, the preacher himself must be filled with great humility because he understands that the authority is not in his own words but in the scriptures themselves. It's not the preacher's words that can transform hearts. It's the word of God empowered by the Holy Spirit that transforms lives and matures his saints. The moment a preacher makes a message about anything other than scripture, preaching has lost its power. We need to understand that any other source that a preacher uses for his messages and his sermons makes him, best case scenario, a motivational speaker. 
nothing more. We preach the word because this is what God says God's people need. We need the word. It matures us. It tells us more about who God is, how we ought to love him, how we ought to love one another. We need the word of God in our Sunday morning gatherings. We don't need jokes. Uh, We don't need stories. We need the word of God. And so we need this. We preach the word because this is what God's people need. Though this primarily addresses those of us who preach on a Sunday morning, there's an important point for us as a congregation. And I say this with seriousness. The moment the word of God ceases to be central in the life of this church is the moment that you should cease to come here. That the moment the word of God ceases to be central in the life of this church is the moment that you should cease and stop coming here. As a community, we are responsible that the scriptures remain central in the life of this church because we understand that only the word of God can transform us and has power. Paul goes on and says, preach the word, but when? Take a look at verse two again. Preach the word, when? Be ready in season and out of season. The preacher is called to make the word of God proclaimed publicly constantly, the, that both when it's received well by others, and that's what it means when it says in season, and when it's rejected, so out of season. This phrase speaks not just of a preacher's consistency and readiness, but his eagerness and urgency to preach God's word all the time. It's a picture of a soldier who's on duty but on reserve, but yet ready for action anytime his general calls. It's a picture of a a doctor who's on call, who's ready to be brought into the operating room at any moment's notice. We need to be ready in season and out of season to preach God's word. The lesson for us here is that there are going to be times when preaching won't be popular. But preachers shouldn't shy away from God's word. And members of the church, we encourage you to pray for pastors to have the courage to remain steadfast, to keep preaching, and to not give up. We need to understand that a time is coming, and and, and at times we look at the culture around us, and it's already here when preaching is rejected and opposed. Would you pray that, that your pastors would not give up in the work of preaching, that they would remain steadfast in the proclamation of the word. He says to preach the word and when in season and out of season, take a look again at verse two, tells us how to preach, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preaching ought to engage the whole person. Wrong ideas and beliefs need to be corrected and reproved. Sinful lifestyles need to be confronted and rebuked. The, the weak, the weary, the anxious, and the fearful need to be encouraged and exhorted. The word of God does all of these things, but we do all of this with complete patience and teaching. The word of God must be handled with graciousness and gentleness when it's taught to others. We need to understand that the process of sanctification which is being made more and more holy like Jesus Christ, is sometimes a very slow thing. 
It often takes time for the word of God to, to permeate the soil of a heart of a person, to take root, to, to grow, and then to bear visible fruit. And so we need to understand that, that we must be patient in all of our teaching of God's word. We live in a culture where things can be obtained almost instantaneously. Think of Amazon Prime. You can order something this morning and it will be at your doorstep tonight if it's not there already. We aren't great with patience. If we're honest, sometimes that speed is too slow. Uh, we, we need to grow in patience. We need to remember that we are called to be faithful in heralding God's word and that we trust that God would bring the growth. This is what Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians, that I planted, Apollo watered, but God gave the growth. It's not true only for preachers that we need to be measured with patience, but in all of our interactions with one another, we need to understand that the word of God might take time in the hearts of others to bear fruit. And so all of our speech, all of our conduct, the way we live towards one another needs to be measured with graciousness, gentleness, compassion, and patience. Now we need to understand that patience doesn't mean a watering down of God's truth, but it's, a letting, it's letting the weight of God's word rest on a person's heart until they're moved by it. God models this kind of patience with us. Here's what Peter says, 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's patience doesn't mean that he's going back on his word. He doesn't diminish sin or his promise. Yet in his long suffering, he waits for his word to, to, as its weight rests upon the hearts of his people for them to reach repentance. We can be the same way when we help others grow in Christ. That as we share the word of God, as we exhort one another, that we wait with patience for their repentance. We wait for, with patience for, for the change in their life. Because we understand that's the Holy Spirit's work in them. And so we wait with patience. So Paul's shown us the, the weight of the charge. And then we've seen the, the substance of the charge itself. And now finally, we see the intent of the charge. Take a look at verse three. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul explains that the reason we must be committed to the regular preaching of God's word is because there's a time that is coming when it will no longer be received. That the natural tendency of man is towards rejection and opposition of God's word. Paul charges Timothy to the work of preaching God's word in season and out of season because people will naturally move away from the truth. Moving away from the truth, having itching ears, meaning that they're looking for someone who will tell them what, what satisfies their craving. They'll abandon sound teaching and look for false teachers who can give them that. Paul makes it clear 
that false teachers multiply in number because people accumulate or collect false teachers themselves. Some of us at home, we collect shoes. Uh, others collect baseball cards. I collect books. And, and it says, Paul says here in, in, the, in the passage that those who depart from the truth collect, they accumulate false teachers from, for themselves. They aren't satisfied with just one person teaching them what they want to hear. They accumulate and collect for themselves false teachers. This is why we shouldn't be surprised when we look around and see the the escalating number of false teachers in the world today. This is also why we shouldn't be surprised that whole baseball stadiums can be filled with people who come to hear a message that can't be found in the scriptures. People want teaching that satisfies their cravings, and false teachers are more than happy to rise up and to supply it. That's why Paul says we must be committed to the preaching of what the the word of God. These teachings that people go off to, he calls myths. Now the New Testament uses this word in a very negative way. It talks about deceptive teachings that are often used to excuse immoral behavior. So what people are doing is that they're leaving the truth of scripture behind to seek after teaching that keeps them comfortable in their sin. But as Christians, we don't want simply comfort. We want growth, we need growth. And we know that growing sometimes hurts because this is what the word of God does. This is what the author of Hebrews says the word of God does. For the, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God chips away at us, refining us, pruning us, growing us, but that that sometimes hurts. It's not comfortable, but we need it. The Holy Spirit using the word of God like a vanity mirror exposes all of our faults and sins and encourage us, encourages us to, to cling to and hope in Christ. This is why we should want good preaching filled with the word of God because the, yes, though it might not keep us comfortable, it helps us and drives us to the only hope that we have and that's Jesus Christ. It drives us to him, the Holy Spirit, the only one who can bring about effectual change in our lives. This is why we need good preaching that handles the word of God rightly. Because week by week, God will use the preaching of God's word to encourage us to confront our sin, to exhort us to to holier living, but showing us all that he wants to change in us for our good and for his glory. We need to understand that preaching that simply keeps us comfortable is likely a place where where the word of God is not being taught. Preaching that simply keeps people comfortable is likely a place that is devoid of the scriptures. Paul goes on in verse four then to describe to us the downward descent of those who have departed from the truth. Take a look at verse four. So those who accumulate teachers to suit their own passions, verse four, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off 
into myths. So Paul says that first, they don't even want the truth. They reject it. That's why they turn away from listening to the truth. They reject the scriptures. But here's the sad thing, that they end up in their rejection unable to see the truth because they wander off into myths. They get caught up in and lost in the the very teachings that they left the truth to pursue. This wandering uh, kind of reminds us of how the Israelites wandered in the desert, unable to tell the truth from a lie. So a rejection of the truth eventually leads to an inability to discern what is true from that which is false. And so what should be our response to this? First, it should be that of compassion, understanding that, that people have been blinded, yes, in their rejection of the truth, that they are now caught up in those falsehoods. But Paul tells us what our, our main response should be in verse two, to preach the word. That's our response. That's our response to preach the word of God consistently in season and out of season. The natural tendency of people is to find teaching that suits their own desires. And this is why Paul says we must be committed to the regular teaching of God's word. False teaching leads people to being trapped in their sin and wandering and lost and caught up in myths. But a commitment to preaching God's word will lead people to experiencing freedom in Christ and forgiveness of sin. That's why we need to preach the word of God. Paul in in verse five then summarizes this charge to us that unlike the false teachers who deceive and, and meet the needs of those who depart from the truth, Paul tells us that that we must be first sober-minded. Verse five, be sober, always be sober-minded. Meaning keep careful watch, to always keep in mind that God's always watching, that his presence is with us, that he's soon to return and he's coming back to judge. Be sober-minded. Second, endure suffering. We need to understand that the gospel will not be tolerated, that already as we look around, opposition and rejection is growing, and so we must be ready to endure suffering. Third, do the work of an evangelist. Be a bringer of good news. We, are, we have a, a deposit of the gospel, the, the truth that is good news, that Christ has died, and that those who trust in him experience freedom from sin and life in Jesus Christ. So do the work of an evangelist. And then finally, he says, fulfill your ministry. Like a general telling a soldier to complete their mission, Paul reminds us that it's our duty to fulfill the call to preach. It's not an option, it's an expectation. We're able to follow this call ultimately because we we don't follow Timothy or Paul, but because we follow Jesus Christ. We need to understand that Jesus in his earthly ministry began as he began to preach the good news of the kingdom. His his public ministry began with the proclamation that, that the kingdom is here and it's coming. But we we need to understand that what we are doing, Jesus did first. And so we're able to follow him gladly. 
but we need to understand that his preaching cost him his life. He was rejected and he was opposed and he was crucified for it. Through his death, though, a death that he died in our place, we gained eternal life. God the Father then raising him from the dead, as Paul says in in Philippians, highly exalted him, rewarding him with a name that is above every name. And so like him, we will be rewarded as we commit to doing what God has called us to do in preaching the word. Preaching is, is not an option. It's an expectation for us as we gather together as a local church. So let's pray right now that we would understand that we do this for God's glory and for the good of the people that Jesus died for. Let's pray that God would help us understand the call to preach here at Toronto North, that he would give us endurance and perseverance in the ministry, and that we would, we would be patient towards all who come our way. Would you join me in praying? Father, we, uh, we come before you. We're thankful for how your word tells us how we ought to, to be and ought to live like as we gather together. We're thankful that your word even tells us what we ought to do in moments like this, that we are to preach the word in season and out of season. We're thankful that, that we have Jesus Christ as our example, that even in, in the midst of opposition, that he did not waver in his commitment. And because of that, we have the good news before us, that by his death, the wrath of God was satisfied, and in his life, he offers it to all of us who come before him in faith. So we pray that that this morning that you would grow in us a greater commitment to preaching, that even as a people that we would commit to praying for our leaders and for our elders and those who bring the word, but that we ourselves would be committed to understanding the power of your word, that it's useful, that it trains us up in righteousness. It's what saved us and now matures us together. Help us as a church to be committed to your word. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.